Great news, my cruciferous cousins. Plant Strong Foods is hosting a March Madness Meals and Minutes sale. Visit plantstrong.com and save up to 30% on every one of our ready-to-eat chilies and stews. It is the perfect time to stock up on these heat-and-eat tasty meal solutions. Having a stash in your pantry means you're never more than 90 seconds away from a satisfying meal. The sale runs through March 17th while supplies last. Visit plantstrong.com today. I want to welcome you to a special bonus episode of the Plant Strong Podcast. I have now been hosting the Plant Strong Podcast for three years, and I've been bringing you interviews with some of the most prolific change makers and charismatic thought leaders in the world of plant-based nutrition. In fact, back in season one, I had the privilege of interviewing Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. If you haven't heard of Eric, just a few weeks ago, he secured the Democratic primary nomination to become the next mayor of New York. He is spectacular, and I know is gonna make a wonderful mayor, but One of the things that makes him so inspiring to me is his personal health journey. This is what we talk about today on the podcast. It wasn't long ago that this former police officer was losing his battle with type 2 diabetes. His vision was going and he was also facing imminent amputation. Doctors were grim about their prognosis and on a whim, He Googled reversing diabetes, and guess who popped up in his search engine? The work of my father, Dr. Cobble B. Esselstyn Jr., among a few others. And then based on Eric's independent research, he adopted a whole food, plant-based diet, and is now stronger, healthier, and more fit for duty than ever. None of us can predict the outcome of the election this fall, but one thing that I know for sure, if Eric is elected mayor, then New York is on the receiving end of one plant-strong political powerhouse. To celebrate his victory in the primary, I wanna share the season one episode with you in its entirety and commemorate his journey from pain to purpose. As an aside, Eric came out with his book last year describing his journey called Healthy at Last that is available on Amazon. Alrighty, enjoy this inspiring look back with Eric Adams. My real problem was my diabetes. He said it was out of control. I was at a coma state and he told me that I have to go on insulin right away. He prescribed two medications for me also. And at that same time, as faith will have it, my sight in my left eye was just almost gone. My sight in my right eye was slowly losing at the same time. And I had nerve damage in my hands and feet. They told me it was permanent. I couldn't even feel my right thigh anymore because the nerve damage had become so severe. And the doctor said, this is you know, basically what your life is going to be. And there were certain things he said in the office that really resonated with me. One. He said, you're going to be on medicine the rest of your life. 
I just couldn't accept that thought that I was going to be starting and ending my day with an ejection or taking a pill. It just wasn't something that I wanted to uh, have as a, you know, how I define my life. That voice you just heard is Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. And he's a remarkable human being, a total, and I mean total force of nature. Eric solves problems and creates positive change for a living. So a few short years ago, when his doctor laid out his future and talked about what to expect from the ravages of his diabetes, Eric set out to fix the problem. He didn't set out to manage his diabetes. He set out to reverse it. Diabetes is becoming a pandemic in our country. And for most people, those with type 2 diabetes or who have been diagnosed as pre-diabetic as a teen or an adult, much like heart disease, this is a disease that need never exist. It is not contracted. It is earned by our poor lifestyle decisions. And conversely, it can be reversed with strong lifestyle decisions. Today, we are learning about massive health transformation from Eric's spectacular transformation from sick to vibrant. And when I say vibrant, I mean vibrant. When he walks in the room, you better be on your A-game because Eric is most definitely on his. This transformation also shows in the way in which Eric and his team are changing school lunches and hospital patient menus by instilling Meatless Mondays. Thousands of students in the New York City public schools are now being fed healthier meals. Thousands of patients at the largest county hospital in the country, Bellevue Hospital in Manhattan, are also eating a lot less meat. For those with heart disease or type 2 diabetes, patients can now sign up to be treated at a new whole food plant-based unit, all because of the work of Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams and his team. Get ready to be inspired to make the big plant strong change in your life. Let's get after it. I'm Rip Esselstyn, founder of Engine 2, and I want to help Bronx firefighter Joe Inga and you become plant strong. So I, I uh, basically want to cover three things with you today. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about your amazing transformation. I'd love to talk about your, uh, the platform that you're using now as borough president to make some policy changes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then just what advice you would give to people that are starting to embrace this lifestyle. Right, right. right? So the first time I met you, uh, Eric, was right around two years ago. Mm. It was a kind of a cold day like today. <laughs> it was at the Whole Foods in Brooklyn. Yes. And we had a, a beautiful lunch upstairs. And you told me, and I didn't even know that you, you flew to Cleveland, you met with my mom and my dad, because you had something going on. What, what exactly was going on with you? In 2016, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And I'll never forget when the doctor told me, I was actually out of the country when I was getting the first signs of, you know, just my body breaking down. And we have a tendency to ignore some of those signs, particularly men. You know, men, you have to drag us to the hospital half the time. And I was feeling pain in my stomach when I returned to the country and had a colonoscopy and also an examination of my stomach, the doctor told me that I had a small ulcer, but my real problem was my diabetes. He said it was out of control. I was at a coma state, the exact term that he used. 
And he told me that I have to go on insulin right away. And I needed to use, he prescribed two medications for me also. And at that same time, as faith will have it, I, my, my sight in my left eye was just almost gone. This, my sight in my right eye was also, um, I was slowly losing at the same time. And I had nerve damage in my hands and feet. They told me it was permanent. My right thigh, I couldn't even feel my right thigh anymore because the nerve damage had become so severe. And the doctor said, this is, this is you know, basically what your life is going to be. And there were certain things he said in the office that really resonated with me. One, he said, you're going to be on medicine the rest of your life. I just couldn't accept that thought that I was going to be starting and ending my day with an ejection or taking a pill. It just mm-hmm. wasn't something that I wanted to, I wanted to uh, have as a, you know, how I defined my life. Second, I remember the feeling of inevitability. When the doctor said, you're, you're diabetic, I was, it was like, okay, we knew this was coming. Your mother's diabetic, your sister's diabetic, you know, diabetes runs in your family, heart disease, high blood pressure. So it was as though I was saying, okay, you know, you get to a certain age, you knew this was coming. And that was the first thing that came in my head. And, and you're in your mid-50s right now? Yes. I was, at the time, I was 54 mm-hmm. years old. That's young. Yes, yes. But it was almost as though, as though I expected to be told I was going to be uh, diabetic. You know, you hit a certain age, hit a certain level, that with that comes, you know, the diseases that is uh, associated with it. Let me stop you for a sec, because here's what is so amazing to me, is that here you are, right? You are a highly successful person. You have achieved an amazing amount in your life. You became a captain in the New New York City Police Department. You graduated first in your class. You went on, you became a New York State Senator, Brooklyn Borough President. And yet, for whatever reason, you were still susceptible to type 2 diabetes, the ravages that are associated with it. Is that because you just didn't know any better? You just ate whatever you want? or That's such a good uh, question that you're asking because you'll find some of the most accomplished external people uh, do little to deal with their internal mechanisms. Mm. We spend more time, I think about the amount of time that I spent searching for uh, my house, the supplies for my house. My son said to me when I told him I was diabetic, he said, you used to drive around to find the best gas to put in your car, but you didn't find the best food to eat. We spend more energy making sure that we get a quality synthetic oil for our engine because we don't want it to burn out quickly. But our heart engine, we don't care what we put in to clog up uh, the injectors, using the right analogy. And that's how it was. I spent a lot of time studying. I spent a lot of time making sure that I can move through the system, do the right things to you know, get elected and what have you. But I was not dealing with the internal part of me. And it's amazing to me that it is probably one of the only places that we as human beings turn over to someone completely. 
and that's our medical and our health. The most important part of us is our temple, our body, but we basically walk into a medical professional office, care less about what type of training they, they got and the accuracy of it. We don't even look up and see, hey, is this school a good school that, they, that they're going to or they went to or what they learned? We just basically state, you have to go to insulin. Okay, doctor, where do I go pick it up? Give me the prescription. Yeah. I don't know any place else in my life that I, that I relinquish that much to an individual the way I did around medical. Yeah. And you're not the only one, right? I mean, scores of Americans do that. And, you know, I'm doing this under doctor's orders. It's almost like they're, they're a, demi, a demigod, right? It's crazy. Uh, how many different physicians did you go to? When I went to the first doctor who, who was a good internist, his heart was in the right place. He was a very caring, compassionate person. He would spend an hour on some of the visits and just talk. And after he told me what was my status, I went to five other doctors here in the city. And because I was the borough president at the time, I was able to get access to people who are the best in their field. And they basically said the same thing. Uh, it is what it is. Um, this is uh, your pathway. This is the, the rest of your life. And there's not much you can do about it. And it, it just didn't resonate. It, it didn't feel right to me. So, so the best you could do is just kind of maintain where you are and do everything you can to beat back the, the blindness and the amputation of limbs and the kidney failure and all that? Well, okay. they basically stated that they're going to give me medicine that will slow down the process, but I'm, I'm going to lose my sight in about a year or so. They said that you, you eventually you're going to have uh, amputations because of the severity of the nerve damage. So it wasn't as though, you know, you maintain. They were basically saying we could slow this down, but, you know, this is the pathway. And that pathway, we know so many people have traveled down that pathway. You start off with the insulin, the metformin, the other drugs. Then you have the nerve damage. Then you lose a toe, a foot, uh, your sight. Then you go to dialysis. It's, just, it's the same song and dance. Mm -hmm. And it's just a continuation mm -hmm. of if you are doing the same things, you're going to get the same results it's over a, and over it's, again. It's a, it's a harrowing prospect. It is. Right? It really is. And, and I think that the... The egregious crying shame is that 90, probably 5% of type 2 diabetes can be prevented and reversed, right? Yes. Which is exactly what you yes. did. Yes, yes, so, Okay, so you went to these physicians, and then what was your aha moment where you're like, wow, I think I'm you know, going to do something about this? It was really fascinating for me because I said to myself, I, re I recall after I left my mother's and saw her dealing with... Uh, her diabetes, and then when I was told, I said, you know, Eric, you know how to read, <laughs> you know, and you're an ex-cop, you know how to do investigations. Go out and investigate. There, there must be something out there that could improve or to really slow down the amount of medicine I have to take. And that's what I was seeking. And so I, I, I like to say I did something scientific. I went to Google and Googled, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. reversing diabetes. And it's interesting that I didn't put in that Google search, living with diabetes. Mm. I put in reversing diabetes. Let me stop for, from the ideal place. And, you know, at this time, I'm in bad shape. Physically, you know, I, mean, I looked fine, but internally, you know, I was in some serious medical bad shape at the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember just all of this information came up. You know, your dad's 
uh, you know, book came up as one, uh, Dr. Gregor, Dr. Barnard, and all of this information just came up. And as I'm reading through it, I'm saying, you know, what the heck? You know, what is this? And this information is in plain sight. That's the arrogancy of those who are poisoning our families. They're not even trying to hide the information. Mm -hmm. It's in plain sight. Mm -hmm. And so I remember staying up that night and just reading through and just all of a sudden getting excited and motivated. And early that morning, I called your dad and I introduced myself and I said, I, you know, and even that first phone call with him, I said that, you know, I want to change health in, in the borough of Brooklyn. You know, I'm the borough president, the county executive, and I would like to come down to see you. And if this is real, I'm going to use myself as an example and then I'm going to push this forward. And I took a flight out and I was able to uh, sit down and speak with him and never look back. And did you take that flight out there with your wife? Yes. Uh, Tracy joined me. The two of us uh, went uh, and we attended the, you know, the, the discussion. She was not diabetic at the time. She was pre-diabetic at the time. And I remember the natural tendency. I remember she saying to your dad, that, okay, I could give up a lot of things, but I'm not giving up my pork chops. <laughs> yeah. And we started tasting the food that your mom cooked. And we was like, this is good. <laughs> yeah. So I would love to know, you now have been doing this for how long? Two and a half years? Two and a half years to figure the beginning of 2016. Yeah. And we're in 2019. So about two and a okay. half years. Mm -hmm. Is this easy? Or is this hard for you? Oh, easy. Walk in the park. Are you serious? I yeah. mean, this isn't too expensive. It's not too time-consuming. You're just not eating twigs and berries? <laughs> you know, not walking around <laughs> with, with grass in my pocket mm -hmm. and, and having bland taste. Actually, the food I ate prior, it was every day the same thing. It, it wasn't like there was no diversity in my diet. I was, you know, waking up in the morning, doing the two eggs, with bacon and cheese on a on a roll, you know. Sometimes when people say, "Well, you know, when you when you go plant based, you know, you 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 drink a smoothie and a kale smoothie with uh, carrot powder and uh, a bunch of berries, you do it every day, aren't you, boy?" I say, "You eat those two eggs on a roll every day, yeah. <laughs> you know." Yeah. Yeah. But I have diversity throughout my day with different flavors and creativity, different spices that I've never thought of before and different types of food and mixture. And really you break out of the restrictions of what you're supposed to eat when you're supposed to eat. Like, I'll have oatmeal, uh, still cut oatmeal for dinner uh, and enjoy it. So just the creativity and not limiting yourself to of what one state you're supposed to do. Food is free, and we should be free in our consumption of it. Mm -hmm. You are probably one of the busiest men that I know. Your schedule is absolutely jam-packed, and I would tell anybody that's out there that if you think it's you're too busy to eat healthy, that's hogwash. Yes, it is. Absolute so hogwash. True. So true. What did you have for breakfast today? Every morning I break my fast with a nice kale or spinach, smoothie with a, a cup and a half of blueberries and blackberries with a, a nice portion of fruits. We're told for so long that diabetics should not eat fruits. Right. So wrong, mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. wrong. And I cut up uh, fruits, I have a nice fruit, care, fruit 
salad with a nice smoothie with carrot powder and some other uh, powders that are really good, natural, good uh, organic powders. And it's just the energy level is just uh, unbelievable. I used to have to eat something extremely sweet by the mid-morning to just give me that extra boost and then I'll do it again and it was a constant. Those days are gone. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. energy level is unbelievable. My son and I went away on a 21-day trip out of the country uh, after he graduated and he was like, Dad, who's the kid and who's the old man? I'm (laughs) I'm tired all the time and you always on the go. People don't realize how food is fueled. You can put that terrible let it fueling you or that unleaded high premium food that will allow you to run your engines correctly. It's a little after 4.30. What did you have for lunch today? Lunch, I had a great bean pasta with, I make this nice sauce with cauliflower and a lot of spices and I mix in carrots and kale. I have I try to get kale in, in throughout my entire day. I eat kale four or five times th- through the day. A lot of peppers, a lot of fresh fr- fruits. I'll chop up some celery to, to get the crunch taste I'm looking for. Uh, and just a mixture, the more in the bowl as possible. And I just enjoy the different tastes of it. Um, are, you, are you making this in your office? I know you, you have a refrigerator in your office, right? Yes, yes, I do. You know, I yeah. have a nice refrigerator, but I do a lot of prep at the beginning of the week. And I will put in my bags. I'll chop up my mushrooms, chop up my kale, chop up my celery, my carrots, my beets. I'll have about 15 bags of different chopped items so this way i don't have to rush i can just dip into the bag take a nice handful um, put it inside my soup or my mixture and everything is prepared this takes away that when you're busy and i am my life is built around what i eat it Mm -hmm. used to be uh, my what i eat is built around my life but first i fuel my body and sometimes i'll have meetings where people are sitting in the meetings and I have my big Buddha bowl, I like to call it, yeah. and I'm eating right in the meeting and you have to get used to it. If you didn't bring your healthy food, shame on you, I'm bringing mine. <laughs> you know? And you're, you're, you're doing all this um, prep and cutting and chopping yourself. Your wife's not helping you. You don't have somebody else in the house helping you. You know, technology has really advanced us. There's no excuse now not to have a healthy lifestyle. You grab a veggie bullet and you throw those items through a veggie bullet. It chops it up easily for you. So you have to sit there and chop all the time. You grab a neutral bullet to make a good drink uh, for yourself. You know, you grab other devices and other food processors that allow the chopping to be done. It's not like I'm standing over the kitchen with a chopping board and having, having to chop up the carrots. Within a half an hour, my prep is done for the whole week, and it's just waiting for me to decide how am I going to mix it. So there's no reason to say, well, it takes too long to chop up, chop up your items. Those days are gone. Technology is here. What about dinner tonight? You know what you're going to have for dinner tonight? There's always kale. Kale is at the heart of what I, what I eat. My plate is majority live vegetables, so I'm going to do a mixture of kale, carrots, beet. I try to always have onions in my meal, always try to get a lemon some, somewhere in the meal to get the taste, mm-hmm. and probably have some type of lentil. I may, make, I may make a lentil burger 
or makes hummus, get a nice hummus dish and mix it with some bean pasta. I don't know until I walk into the kitchen and I say, okay, what do I feel like consuming? Or I'll make a nice flaxseed bread where I would mix kale on top of it, kale and hummus to make some type of pizza um, with it, put a nice tomato paste on top of it. So it's a combination. I eat good now. It sounds like you've turned <laughs> into a regular chef. I never cooked before. That's very interesting. Yeah. You know, my good days is when I didn't burn toast back then. But now, just the creativity that comes with finding the meals that fits your palate. We all know our palates. Our palates are unique to our uh, different characteristics. And I find those meals and the spices that really help me enjoy the food that I like to yeah. eat. What you mentioned a little earlier, your uh, your mother. Yes. How is your mother doing these days? Is she, she, is she on board? She, she, she's on board. She's now off her insulin. After two months of going plant-based, she was able to get off her insulin. And it was really a victory for me because that really started out my mindset of how do we turn around mm-hmm. health. My families have embraced and they're all moving towards a whole food plant-based diet. And just a number of people in the borough of Brooklyn, I'm, I'm happy that I, I am being used as an example. While I was interviewing Eric at his office, I also interviewed Rachel Atchison, a member of his staff and a major spoke in the Wheel of Progress with the plant-based movement. How long have you been with the borough president and what is your role? Yeah, I've been with him for about nine months and I am his deputy strategist. I work largely on his plant-based nutrition initiatives. The messenger is borough president Eric Adams and for him to have become so passionate about this issue just means that that we get so much more done than I could have ever imagined. I see a world in which we are eating mostly plants and he is getting us there so much faster than I could have ever gotten us there. Mm-hmm. So I'm honored to be on his team and really to see how fast we can move this needle. People stop me all the time and talk about how they have changed their diet. And we are really expanding on doing things that allow people to be free. No, you you absolutely are. And this is, I think, one of your missions. It's one of your platforms. Uh, and you're, you're, you're using uh, your, I think, your, your seat as borough president as a springboard to do all kinds of amazing health initiatives. Can you uh, talk about maybe some of the ones you're most excited about right now? I think at the top of the list is what we're doing at Bellevue Hospital. Bellevue Hospital, for those who are not aware, is the oldest hospital in America. We're opening the first whole food plant-based unit in Bellevue Hospital. We have about 300 people who signed up to participate in the program. So individuals who come to the hospital with, with heart disease, diabetes, and some of the other chronic diseases, they're going to be placed on a whole food plant-based regimen. Mm. And we're monitoring to see the results. You and I both know the results are going to be positive. They, you know, they're going to show that this is going to improve the quality of life of people. And with this study that we're doing, 
If we are successful, it is going to open this conversation for the entire health and hospital system. Uh, New York City has the largest health and hospital system uh, throughout the entire country. And we're moving to show how successful this, this is, how it reverses diabetes, or at a minimum, really decrease the amount of medication people are taking and taking them off the large number of dosage and medica- medication that they're doing. This success is going to have ramifications not only throughout the city, but throughout the country, if not the entire globe. Mm-hmm. The, the globe is sick. Mm-hmm. And the pharmaceutical industries, for the most part, you know, many of our family members and loved ones are overconsuming different drugs. And if we can show that by using a healthier lifestyle to prevent disease or reverse disease, it is going to have a serious ramification on what we do in this country. Mm-hmm. We're also looking at our schools. In New York City, particularly borough of Brooklyn, we're an extremely diverse place. 47% of Brooklynites speak a language other than English at home. Many of the young people really help their parents to transition into the American structure and American society. And where they learn that from are our schools. It's unfortunate that our schools are not teaching our children healthy practices. In New York City, we feed children 980,000 meals a day, yet those meals are feeding our healthcare crisis. Little Johnny eats a hamburger, he doesn't get colon cancer the next day, but the reality is he's learning bad practices that he's going to follow the rest of his life. WHO and other notable studies have shown processed meat is a type 1 carcinogen where it causes cancer, yet we're feeding our children that. Mm-hmm. So we're moving to get processed meat banned from, from our schools. We're also moving to get our schools to start off by taking the first step of Meatless Mondays and moving to vegetarian and vegan schools where children are learning how to eat a more healthier lifestyle. We're putting a large amount of money into our school system. Millions of dollars is going into building greenhouses on rooftops to teach our children vertical farming and how to use technology to grow and also feed of those in their communities. We have a great p- program that we're doing at a school called Democracy Academy, where they're using a partnership we have with an organization called Farm Shelf. They have these units about the size of a refridge where you can grow using pods, where you can grow bok choy and other healthy green vegetables, and they are growing it and giving it to the residents in their community to mm-hmm. sort of identify a few food desert and do something about it. During our trip to Brooklyn to meet with Borough President Eric Adams, we also went to one of the schools in Brooklyn to see how the kids are doing with Meatless Mondays and more exposure to vegetables. Mr. Shulman, this is considered then, is it an all-vegetarian school or how does it We subscribe to the the program that most city schools uh, have, which is the Meatless Mondays, which was introduced in September. So they're trying it out for all schools for Mondays, no meat, different kinds of pastas, vegetables, making it more prominent for the kids. Okay. So this Meatless Monday initiative was started in September of 2018 then, and uh, was this part of the influence of Eric Adams, some of his policy? Yeah. Eric Adams started uh, wanting to have healthier foods for the whole week for all the city schools, but to start out and not to have it intimidating. He started with Meatless Mondays uh, with the city schools to really push for families to know the options. 
during lunch without meat and make it healthy for kids and make it tasty and presentable. Yeah. What, what's, been the, uh, what's been the feedback from the kids and, and the parents? Well, I think it just went seamlessly. The kids really didn't complain about it. And, and when you ask them about Mondays, it's just like any other day, really, which leads me to believe that you can introduce it on other days and introduce different things. So you can ask them, but I think things like the, the whole grain pastas and the bean tacos and the, the, you know, whole grains, it's just really good for them and, and they love it. Just the other day, they had, uh, broccoli with penne and I didn't hear so much about the penne, but I heard a lot about the broccoli. Oh, I love the broccoli. I love the broccoli. I mean, it's, it's really green and, and, and presented really well. And I think that's a big part of it, presenting the colorful foods in a really nice way for the kids and not just slopping it on there so that the kids really look at it and say, oh, this is something I want. I, I love to have it. I love broccoli. I'm a fan. And carrots. But we can be healthy and we can have a strong body. So when we're done eating and when we go to the gym, we can run faster and play whatever we want, like basketball, football, stuff like that. How do you feel typically after eating a meal on a meatless Monday? Strong. Happy. I can play with my friends. Faster. The um, fruit and veggie program that we have, we had to apply for it. And then we, we got it just at the beginning of this year. And it introduces a new uh, fruit snack or vegetable for the kids every single day, whether it's broccoli, carrots. Uh, sometimes it's kiwis. It could be uh, lettuce. It could be almost anything from a garden. And they love it. They love it. This is so inspiring. Thanks, We're also looking to put uh, several millions of dollars into programs that will allow gardens to be on our rooftops that have butterflies and bees so that we can continue to pollinate the city area. Our direction is really showing people healthy eating. We're reaching into our faith-based institutions, bringing in a group of faith-based leaders so they can start teaching the people in their congregation, their synagogue, their mosque, or any other temple how to eat a more healthier lifestyle. Every three months here, we have a plant-based vegan curious meetup. We average anywhere from two to 400 people who come here and learn about how to live a vegan plant-based lifestyle, how to eat better. And we have panelists and conversations and talks about, you know, plant-based eating and how it can improve your health and lifestyle. We had some great speakers. Does this list ever end? It's amazing. (laughs) I mean, truly. We we had some great speakers here. Uh, Dr. Um, from Chicago, who came here, cardiologist, he came in. Oh, to speak, Kim Williams? Kim Williams. He came in to speak with uh, all of our uh, cardiologists in the city to talk about the plant-based lifestyle. So you're right. It can go it's, on and on and on, but we are excited, and we're going to continue yeah. to bring that energy. Well, you know, it's, let me just say, so you mentioned Kim Williams, who uh, in 2016 was the president of the American College of Cardiology, one of the most you know high-ranking uh, heart associations in this country. And he says there's two types of cardiologists, right? Um, those who are vegan and those who have yet to read the data, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, if, you, if, you, if you've read the data, you know there's only one way to go. <laughs> he, he was amazing. Also, he gave me a stat that I always talk about when I speak to my medical professionals. 
The number one death of cardiologists is heart disease. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> and guess, okay, great. And guess how many cardiologists at Rush University uh, Hospital, where he is the head cardiologist, are plant-based? How many? 23. Mm. 23. Now, I don't know how many are on staff, but 23, that, that's, that's phenomenal. Yes, that's phenomenal, is. right? Yes, it is. And it's, I think it's a testament to the fact that he is leading by example. Yes. And it's exactly what's happening to me here in Brooklyn and the people that I've talked to, how you are, you're, there's this amazing trickle-down effect. You're making a difference. And as a individual like yourself, who has been committed to public service your whole life, I can't imagine anything that feels as gratifying. No, it's so true. And saving lives and helping people live a healthier lifestyle and watching people who have given up all of a sudden see the light of hope. It is so inspiring to hear someone come after I talk about this topic and they'll come to me after and you can see the gleam of hope. And I, I speak often and to many sides, uh, crowds, and I've never had a topic that resonated more mm. with people than this topic. People want to heal. People want to heal. You said it earlier. We as a globe are sick. Mother Earth is sick. Yes. Right? We can heal everything and this universe, right? When, so when we eat this way. So, so it's true. for a higher level. Yes. We yes. all need to get on this, on, on this, this plant strong, you know, wagon. And that's so true. And we can't tinker around the edges. Mm. And we have to be honest with ourselves. Those who consider themselves to be environmentalists, those yes. who run the major organizations, the Diabetes Association, uh, Heart Association, uh, all of us, we need to be serious. It points to one direction. If we want to, to save Mother Earth and save our mother at the same time, yes. we need to really start talking about whole food plant-based. And anyone, uh, I don't care if it's on the federal level or on the local level, you cannot wrap yourself around the environmentalist flag and not at the top of that conversation talk about our overconsumption of meat in this country. That has to, we're forcing and pushing that conversation because, because mm -hmm. far too long uh, the environmentalists talked about uh, fossil fuel, diesel fuel, and those things that are attractive, but they didn't want to go to the core of the problem, our overconsumption of meat in America and across the globe. Yep. And if we are successful or not, the conversation has started. Yes. And I think that is the most important part of this. The genie is out of the bottle, yeah. and we're not going to allow her to go back, to go back in. Mm -hmm. And as long as we stay committed and focused and move in the right direction, I believe our country is never going to be the same. It's not about living forever. It's about living a quality life. To be 102, but you can't identify your grandchildren because mm -hmm. the meat has eroded your arteries and your brains, brains and dementia and Alzheimer's yeah. have settled in. Or you can't get up and walk them to uh, down the aisle when they're married because your limbs were lost because of diabetes. Mm -hmm. Or you need a pacemaker because your heart has been destroyed. That is not a healthier life. Mm -hmm. And many people start pointing to, well, we're living longer. No, we're propped up longer. Life is not existing, it's living. 
to the fullness of what we are. God, in my belief, was mm -hmm. meant for us to be fruitful and multiply, not mm -hmm. toxic and die. Mm -hmm. And we're dying too young. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. What drives Eric Adams? I mean, you've done so many amazing things in your life. I feel in some ways you're just getting started at 58, 59. <laughs> but what, what is it that drives you? Uh, families and the importance of families. And I believe in this concept that if you deposit into the social bank of life, when you have to make a withdrawal, you will have the equity. The worst thing that you can do as life goes on, we're going to have ups and downs. And if you, we are fortunate to live long enough, we're going to have the misfortune of experiencing pain. Yeah. The goal is to turn pain into purpose. Mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. in pain when I was told I was diabetic, but I turned it into purpose. I was not buried with diabetes, I was planted. And the harvest of that mm -hmm. planting, people are going to benefit from. And I want to continue to live by that. So when the time comes that I have to draw on that social equity in my mm -hmm. bank, I'm going to have enough there to make that withdrawal. Yeah, yeah. I love that attitude, Eric. <laughs> I have one more question for you. Yes. This morning I met with a uh, New York City firefighter named Joe Inga. He works at uh, Engine 72. And he's, he's kind of hurting. And he reached out to me for some help. So I, I met with him. Any advice you'd have for Joe and other New York City firefighters that are starting to embrace this plant-based lifestyle? You know, create a community. And the community may not necessarily be inside their firehouse, but it could be a firefighter community. Uh, it's so important to have a you know partners and friends because... The behavioral science of really reversing disease, we often overlook. It's not only physical, it's also emotional. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to create a community. Number one, do, do the prep. Don't underestimate having your food ready that you want to eat and that's available. Get all of the things that's going to pull at your accord out of your household. You know, the ice cream and the other things that when you're going through moments that you're going to reach out for them. Um, move them out of your space. And then you're going to get over the hump. Right now, you're climbing up the mountain, mm -hmm. but you're going to reach the top of the mountain and you're going to see how easy it is. It's, it's not even a second thought for me. When I go into a restaurant, when I'm around family members, when I'm around those who don't have a plant-based life, it's not even a second thought. I know how and why what I'm doing. And he just hang in there. You know, it's, it may seem difficult now, but right now he has the right attitude. He can put out this fire. He can. He absolutely can. <laughs> When we first met at Whole Foods, you told me what starts in Brooklyn. You want to finish that for me? <laughs> no, when I said that the way yeah. goes Brooklyn goes New York, That's the right. way goes New York goes America, the way goes America right. goes the globe. So let's do this, right? <laughs> in Brooklyn. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> let's wrap up this episode with a plant strong rap from Public School 327. One. Roll those chili powder, chickpeas, whole wheat flour, corn, peppers, collard greens, kale soup, black eyed peas, salsa, ginger root, sweet potato, star fruit, bean curry, cumin, tofu, cinnamon. We're raising our voices to make better choices. Thank you for listening to the Plant Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and 
Sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. Have you had your own Galileo moment that you'd like to share? What happened when you stepped into the arena and shed the beliefs that you thought to be true? I'd love to hear about it. Visit plantstrongpodcast.com to submit your story and to learn more about today's guests and sponsors. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.